Good afternoon, listeners. You're listening to The Dogs Programme, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every week on 3CR, and we're here to defend and to promote public education. Now, that is education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It is accessible to all students and all teachers and all cleaners and all anybody else who has anything to do with employment or learning in public education. It should be public and ownership and control, but with private public partnerships, that is not always the case. And it should be the only one that is publicly funded because it's the only one that can be publicly accountable. And we're going to be talking about this accountability a little bit today because uh, during the week, last Monday, Four Corners had a very interesting um, program on two schools in Sydney, which are part of a group of schools that are run by the organisation known as Office Day. But uh, that's our press release. Let's get on with it. Over to Oliver, who's going to read press release 966, which you can also read at www.adogs.info. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Jane. This is press release 966, the Opus Day Saga on ABC Four Corners. The ABC's Four Corners opened its 2023 series with a program on the Opus Day schools in Australia. Yet even before the program went to air on Monday 30th of Jan 2023, the media were abuzz with reports from past students from the two Sydney schools linked to Opus Day. The schools, including Tungara School for Girls, Redfield College, Bulemi College and Montgrove College, are independent and affiliated with Opus Day. Most of the program centred around students who had suffered from the teaching of sex education at the schools and the processes followed by Opus Day members to recruit students to the organisation. Even before the program went to air, however, Premier Dominic Perrottet confirmed NESA, the New South Wales Authority, had been asked to investigate broad concerns about the curriculum at the schools, broadcast by the ABC's Four Corners program on Monday. However, for dogs, perhaps the most interesting fact in the ABC report was that Mr Perrottet is an alumni of one of the schools, Redfield College, where he was school captain in 2000, and so was his finance minister. It was mentioned in passing that other members of parliament are also adherents of the Opus Dei Catholic sect. This line of inquiry, however, was not followed up. Education Minister Sarah Mitchell also admitted that broad allegations had been made about teaching to the curriculum. Mr. Perrottet said any allegations of impropriety would be investigated and the curriculum always needed to be followed, but added, it's not a crime to be Catholic. We live in the most tolerant, tolerant country almost anywhere in the world and we respect people who practice faith, who don't practice faith, he said. I'm a strong believer in parental choice when it comes to education, but one of the ABC investiga investigative reporters behind the program, Louise Milligan, was threatened anonymously by a mystery Redfield school graduate from a prominent family after he allegedly threatened her over her investigation into the ultra-conservative Catholic group and its alleged links to schools. Dog's view on the matter is as follows. 
The state aid to private schools experiment has failed in all the ways we predicted back in 1964. It has created social and religious divisions in our once cohesive community. It has poured public money into sectarian schools. It has undermined our democratic society through the infiltration of our political parties of old boy networks. The Opus Dei scandal is, the on is only the latest example of this. It has brought billions of dollars into private schools with little or no accountability. It is time to follow our own 19th century example, as well as that of Finland, and return to a position of strong public schools that are publicly funded and independent schools that are independent of public funding. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much. Um, that puts our position very well, I think. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to Dale who's got a fascinating article that appeared a couple of days after the Four Corners program. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 Well, we hope you're still listening to the Dogs program. We hope that you saw the Four Corners program last Monday night. And now we've got Dale, who's got a very interesting article written by Jenna Park Price in the Fairfax Media, why we should defund private schools and examine their values. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. I have the article by Jenna Price here, why we should defund private schools and examine their values. There's no better time to defund private schools than now and no better time to examine the values these schools teach to an ever-increasing number of students enrolled. Parents are abandoning the values-led public system to send their kids to schools where, if Monday's shocking episode of Four Corners is a yardstick, there appears to be little monitoring of what is being taught, by whom and how. If there are values, it's about keeping power in the hands of the wealthy and already powerful. Boys like us, girls like us. I once believed you should choose the right school for your own child, shorthand for our own prejudices. Instead, we should be fighting for a school system insisting on equity, not entrenching privilege. Yes, I was curious about the whole the education is better at private schools argument. Is there an academic reason to send kids to private schools? The University of New South Wales' Sally Larson analysed NAPLAN results over time from private schools compared with public schools. Here's the headline. Once you account for the family's socioeconomic background, Larson says there is no difference in achievement. Plus, as she points out, private schools start to recruit high achievers in primary schools. That increases the divisions we already have in Australia, and we don't stop there. 
it now costs more than $1 million to send two kids to some private high schools for 13 years each. If you can't pay up, the schools will send debt collectors after you. We fund divisiveness. We fund the misshapen traditions and values passed from father to son, from mother to daughter. Monday's four, Monday night's Four Corners made me sick. Two schools linked to Opus Day featured Catholic Girls School Taranga in Cherrybrook and the equivalent boys' school Redfield. I'm not anti-Catholic, far from it. I've been married for 40 years to a former Riverview student who was at the same class as Dominique Perrottet's dad. I've never heard any of my extended Catholic family in-laws spout any of the harms which, according to former students interviewed on Four Corners, were spread at Tangara. What are the other word-of-mouth traditions at these schools? Is it the repeat examples of sexual transgressions at Cranbrook, Scots College, Waverley College, Scotch College, St Kevin's, Brighton Grammar and Wesley College, which, to its credit, has tried to address the problem? What are the morals and virtues taught at schools like Tangara, which, according to former students interviewed on Four Corners, actively lies to students? What kind of school tells its students not to get a life-saving vaccine because it encourages promiscuity? What kind of school tells its students pornography causes holes in the brain? What kind of school tells its students same-sex relationships are evil while at the same time barely disciplining a staff member in a same-sex relationship with a disciplined and formal disciple and former student? Do we think old-school ties still matter? Not for long is my guess. For all we know, there are schools across Australia rabbiting on about the dangers of promiscuity, Gardasil and pornography as if these were matters of fact. From my own personal experience, teen promiscuity means you will end up as a dull yet devoted wife of one and mother of three. As Australian taxpayers, we support private schooling by allowing the government to continue to fund private schools. As Four Corners reported, in 2021, Tangara received $5 million in government funding, an increase of 66% in five years. Tangara and its sibling schools scored $20 million in 2021 alone. A year ago, we learnt 130 private schools were overfunded by $120 million in one year. David Zignia, adjunct associate professor at Southern Cross University and a Greens councillor in Victoria, has campaigned for years for governments to defund private schools. As he puts it, it's not government funding, it's taxpayer funding. He conducted a little experiment on whether two public schools where his grandkids go are fairly funded. The answer was neither is funded to the schooling resource standard. Every year, each school is underfunded to the tune of more than $1.5 million. Meanwhile, private schools are overfunded. The governments are robbing our public schools in order to fund private schools, Zignia says. 
We don't have transparent insight into what happens in private schools. Parents need to ask hard questions. Australian parents think they have to pay for value, says Deborah Hayes, who leads the education program at the University of Sydney. But public schools are hothouses of values and value-driven practices, she says. Parents need to trust the public system and vote for it to be funded adequately. And as David Gurr, who runs Melbourne University's education program, asks, can we say with our hand on our heart, every school is a quality school? Is it a quality school for all students? It's not as if private schools even share the load when it comes to students from disadvantaged backgrounds or who have differing abilities. But when it comes to education, money matters. All kids need access to good schools, ones that teach fairness, respect, reading, and don't kill me, times tables. Time to turn the tables on private schools. Labor has struggled eternally to deal with the unfairness of education funding. It's time for Australian voters to say we, we back change now. All praise to the students who spoke up on Monday night. Maybe we should ask the same questions of students at private schools everywhere. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Dale. Uh, that article uh, generated quite a lot of commentary. And one of the most interesting was that uh, one gentleman said, perhaps it's time uh, to rejuvenate the dogs. Let's have the dogs back again. Well, the dogs never went away. We're still here. And uh, everything that we said would happen back in 1964 is happening right now. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll come back with some more interesting material. Hi, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. We are still listening, I hope, to the Dogs Program and, um, as we've told you, we are pro-public schools because, unfortunately, the private schools don't play fair with children or with the society or with taxpayers. Uh, and although they are often for those who can pay because they charge fees, sometimes extortionate fees amounting to uh, anything up to and above 40000 a year, um, they don't always attract the clever people. So to get high achievers, they are introducing and have been introducing for some time scholarships because they like to buy the bright children out of the public system. Uh, Maddie's got something to say on this. Over to you, Maddie. I do. Thank you, Jean. This is an article by Lucy Carroll written on January 29th. Demand for scholarship spots at Sydney's private schools is rising, with at least 20 institutions offering places in Year 4 and 5 in a bid to lock in high-achieving students before they reach high school. 
St Andrew's Cathedral School in the CBD will, for the first time, offer an academic scholarship for entry into Year 4 in 2024, while Burwood's MLC School said applications for Year 5 scholarship places had doubled in the past two years. Um, A scholarship in primary school is a way to secure a place all the way to Year 12, said Linda Ems, MLC's Head of Learning and Teaching. She went on to say, It's a big commitment for families, and financially it's a stretch. This is a way for parents to have fee help as cost of living pressures increase. Competition for academic, music, and all-rounder scholarships and bursaries is increasing, with schools offering to cover 30% to full fee places. Robert Orwell, the head of scholarship test provider academic assessment services that runs tests for about 60 schools, So the number of applicants for year five and year seven entry jumped up about 30% since 2018. In New South Wales, there is much greater demand for school scholarships and it's the higher school fees that are driving the increasing interest. The cost to attend some of the schools is not for the faint-hearted. Thousands of students across New South Wales are expected to sit for school scholarship exams this year, which are generally held between February and April. Tests are run by individual institutions or through providers such as AAS or the Australian Council for Education Research. More than 50 New South Wales schools use the ACER scholarship exam to test students for entry, with two-thirds of those as part of a co-op program that allows students to sit one exam and apply for one or several schools. A spokesperson for North Shore's co-ed Barker College said the school had 474 applications for academic, music, financial need and Indigenous scholarships for 2024, up to 10% on last year. Sydney Grammar School said they generally had a steady number of applicants each year, about 500, for 24 places offered and a range of assisted places for those who could not afford the fees. At Regents Park Christian School near Auburn, Principal Les Barnard said families are struggling to afford fees even though we are low-cost school. We have a needs-based assistance program based on an interview. We also started academic scholarships for students coming into Year 7 because we started losing academically gifted pupils to selective schools, which is very difficult when the top students leave. I think that's very funny. They're complaining about losing public school students, um, uh, public school students to public schools. Yes. <laughs> they think that they should be able to buy them out for their school. Yeah. <laughs> you see, it's a, bit of, it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? It is a joke. They really should have good schools for every child, yes. not all of this uh, selecting, selecting children. No, agreed. Mm. But Timothy Bowden principal at Trinity Grammar in the Inner West, said scholarship tests are becoming less helpful in identifying candidates, largely because the tutoring industry is heavily focused on preparing students to be good test takers. We are increasingly finding that the students who have been tutored for tests are not good scholarship candidates for us because they are not interested in the breadth and goals of our educational offering, Bowden said. Former independent school principal Tim Hawkes said increasing interest from parents in scholarships has fueled 
a rise in the academic coaching industry. And this coaching can artificially inflate scholarship scores. This requires schools to be rather more savvy in how they choose to select a student. The scholarship industry has also been fertilized by external accountability measures for schools such as academic league tables. Hawke said while schools might trumpet the virtues of an all-round education, independent schools must produce solid academic results or suffer declining enrolments. This can lead to an academic arms race with scholarships being offered at an ever earlier age to snare the most able students, he said. That was interesting. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Mm. They can't depend that just because somebody is wealthy enough to pay their fees that their children are going to have what used to be called a high IQ. And I think it's a tragedy that children should be assessed in this way uh, in, in our society. One yeah. would have thought that those days had long gone. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we're going to come back and Kim's going to tell us about the Australia's teacher shortage. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Well, uh, we hope you're still listening to the Dogs Programme because uh, we find it all very interesting what's been going on in the last week that we're bringing to you. And Kim has a very interesting article for you, Australia's Teacher Shortage is a Generational Crisis in the Making. Uh, They knew about it a long time ago. Uh, Producing teachers for our public schools uh, has been taking uh, a very much a a back, back, back would turn uh, under the Conservative governments uh, over the last 10 or so years, last few decades. But um, this is terrible for our next generation, of course. Over to you, Kim. Thanks, Jean. Uh, yeah, so this article is titled Australia's Teacher Shortage is a Generational Crisis in the Making. How can we turn things around? And it was written by Fiona Longmuir um, on the 30th of January of this year. Teacher shortages have reached critical levels in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Europe and Africa. COVID-19 further exposed existing cracks in the teaching profession which need to be fixed urgently. Teacher numbers and resourcing, unequal access and outcomes and widespread student disillusionment, disengagement and mental ill health are not new but have been blatantly exposed and exacerbated by the pandemic. How we respond now will be crucial for future generations. The past three years of pandemic interrupted schooling put extreme pressure on all involved, school leaders and administrators, teachers, students and families. Teacher shortages have reached critical levels in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Europe and Africa. The supply and demand of teachers, particularly in hard-to-staff locations, continues to be an issue and was heightened over the pandemic due to a lack of effective policy solutions. The expectations of teachers' performance have increased over time as schools increase their reliance on standardised tests. Teachers, teaching has become more time-consuming and more physically and emotionally demanding, while the pay and social rewards are often perceived as unsatisfactory. 
This was already contributing to teachers' intentions to leave the profession prior to COVID-19, according to Australian education funding, went backwards during pandemic. What's behind the crisis? The crisis in teacher supply is only one facet of the deeper, more complex combination of problems modern education faces. The mix of global pressures such as competitive education and employment opportunities, political tensions, technological advancements and environmental degradation and climate change have created younger generations that struggle to find hope, disengaged and struggling with mental health in increasing numbers. The problem of teacher supply and student wellbeing is worse in communities with the least resources, particularly during the pandemic. The class of 2022-2023 and those in the next five years are likely to bear the brunt of these issues. There is a generation at risk of having their futures defined by COVID-19. Addressing teacher shortages should be a priority. Teachers not only provide high-quality learning, they are also key figures of emotional support, social development and students' well-being. High-quality, dedicated and caring teachers who have the time and resources to develop positive relationships and support high-quality learning can make immeasurable differences in students' lives and in communities that will thrive in the future. But many teachers are struggling and considering leaving. The Australian government has declared the teacher shortage an unprecedented challenge and developed a National Teacher Workforce Action Plan. It outlines five priority areas of improving teacher supply, strengthening initial initial teacher education, keeping the teachers we have, elevating the profession, and better understanding the future teacher workforce needs. Two of these five, keeping teachers and elevating the profession, are an immediate priority to address two issues contributing to the rates of teacher attrition, workload and disrespect. Monash University research has found these are often cited by teachers as contributing to increased rates of burnout and attrition, what teachers are crying out for. Australia is on a precipice with up to 70% of teachers considering leaving the profession. Working through the pandemic was the final straw due to the further intensification of expectations and workload. Now, in a post-COVID period, they are not seeing changes that suggest a more manageable way forward. But if disillusioned teachers can be convinced to stay, and if some who have left in recent years could be convinced to return, the crisis might be diminished. This will only occur by improving teachers' working conditions and ensuring the public discussions and perceptions about teaching in the media and through policy are positive and respectful. The strange phenomenon behind Australia's teaching workforce crisis. The federal government has warned of an unprecedented shortage of teachers across the country, but many already in the profession say they're desperate for secure and ongoing employment. So what's going on in Australia's education system? Teachers in the Monash University survey recommended solutions such as reducing administrative burdens, providing more specialised staff to assist with students' social and behavioural challenges, and reducing class sizes to allow more time for teachers to meet the individual and social needs of students. Respondents also suggested better pay and greater trust in teachers through the removal of excessive accountability requirements. Doing so would help them to feel more valued and appreciated. The solutions to the immediate teacher supply issues are not simple, nor are they cheap. It would be cheaper and easier to call for improved teacher preparation programs or to investigate long-term workforce trends, but this won't have the short-term impact that is needed. If governments and administrators are able to hone in on what teachers are crying out for right now, we might be able to stem the attrition and also have the long-term benefit of the profession being seen as an attractive career. 
It's really a pretty simple equation. The stronger and more committed our teachers are, the better educated our societies will be. Back to you, Jean. Well, that's a, that's a very interesting article indeed. Thank you very much, Kim. But we'll have a bit of a break. Join me at your cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30pm on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free, one of us is chained, none of us are free. Well, we hope you're still listening to the Dogs Program because we're going off overseas now. Jeff's going to take us to America where they've got problems uh, not with Opus Day but with uh, uh, really quite fascist organisations uh, in the schools. And uh, over to you, the UK, where the teachers have had more than enough. They're on strike. So over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. And we've got some disturbing stories this day, this time from the United States and from England, of course, uh, as public education is really uh, lurching from crisis to crisis, underfunded all over the world, but especially we follow the United States and England as they are very similar in some ways to where we're heading. So this one's from Diana Ravitch's blog, which we follow closely in some states. It's really uh, interesting um, and disturbing. So this is um, Stop funding Public Funding of Unaccountable Extremist Networks. This is from the January 30th, um, and Diana Ravitch writes, For immediate release... Uh, Pro-voucher special interests work to funnel public funds into unaccountable and ex extremist networks. The Network for Public Education, Network NPE, calls for the immediate cessation of ESA vouchers payments, voucher payments to homeschoolers and all other non-school-based individualised instruction programs based on the discovery of an online homeschooling network whose primary purpose is to teach young children to be Nazis. According to the report in the Huffington Post, its numbers thus far are in the thousands. But the greater threat is how its existence exposes the dangers of publicly subsidised vouchers designed to fund extremist beliefs. Such programs, including the so-called micro-schools, operate with almost no curricular supervision or public fiscal oversight allowing them to legally indoctrinate children with a distorted hate-filled curriculum supported by public funds. NPE President Diana Ravitch stated, Our nation fought a world war to de defeat Nazism. Public funds should not be used to propagate hatred of our fellow citizens. Public education exists to foster mutual respect among all citizens. Our public dollars should be used to teach the shared values of democracy, especially the rule of law, the equality of every person, 
the importance of free and fair elections and the value of education in pursuing a life of dignity and purpose. Seven states now fund programs solely supervised by families with no control over whether a sound academic curriculum is taught. Eight states have introduced legislation that would either start or expand such programs. These ESA voucher programs, which are mislabeled as scholarships and savings accounts, have been subject to fraud and abuse, said Dr. Carol Burris, NPE Executive Director. NPE has long held concerns that funded at-home programs might teach children misinformation or radical curriculums of hate. This neo-Nazi homeschool network now confirms our deepest fears. Many ESA voucher laws do not require the parent to present evidence that the student has learned anything to receive thousands of dollars in public funds. In states that have adopted voucher programs, the, the academic results for students who left public schools are disastrous, says Josh, Josh Cohen, a professor at Michigan State University and veteran voucher researcher. In addition, 75 to 80% of voucher funding goes to students in already, enrolled, already enrolled in private or religious schools. NPE also calls on every state to carefully review its homeschool laws. 11 states do not require homeschoolers to report that their child is homeschooled, making a mockery of state compulsory education laws. No states have laws that would prevent the teaching of hate curricula. As more states adopt laws that fund unregulated radical schooling arrangements, we must ensure that children's emotional and physical well-being are guarded. While we cannot protect children from those parents who would fill their minds with, and hearts with hate, we can at least ensure that our tax dollars are not supporting such instruction, Burris concluded. The use of public funds to support extremist and antisocial agendas, unfortunately, has a long track record for the privatisation community, especially as today's unpopular modern school vouchers being pushed in legislatures across the country have evolved from the segregation, uh, segregationist reaction to the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court ruling. The Network for Public Education, NPE, was founded in 2013 by Diana Ravitch and Anthony Cody. Its mission is to protect, preserve, promote and strengthen public schools for current and future generations of students. They share information and research on vital issues that concern the future of public education. For more information, you can actually uh, look up Diana Ravitch's blog uh, online. I would highly recommend it, but uh, teaching... Uh, children hate must be absolutely abhorrent to anyone who believes in public education, especially the misuse of public funds for such things. Dogs firmly uh, opposes any such agenda in Australia, in, in America, in anywhere. Anyway, um, we're going to move now to UK where a, a different crisis is occurring, where under, gross underfunding by the Tories is bringing people to the point of... Um, the collapse of the education system and public public education system certainly strike action is on the on the on the horizon. So this is from an article by Clear Scolopetti and Jedediah Ota from the thirty first of January, and I believe it was in the uh, in the Observer, but I will have to check that. I'll try and let you know. It's, it is every every year more is asked teachers in England on why they are striking, while all are dedicated to teaching. Exhaustion, falling real terms, pay and a sense of social crisis have pushed them to act. 
teachers in all four UK nations are taking strike action in February. They say their pay is only one of the issues that they want addressed by the government. Um, teachers in England and Wales will strike on Wednesday after 11th hour talks between union leaders and the government failed to find a way to avoid industrial action. The National Education Union, NEU, is, is planning seven strike days with all schools in England and Wales affected on 1st of February. In Scotland, teachers are striking in two local authorities a day until 6th of February, with the Educational Institute of Scotland, EIS, subsequently planning further strikes. In Northern Ireland, most teachers will strike for half a day on 21st of February. Four teachers explain how pay erosion, working conditions and staff shortages are leading them to strike. A decade of underfunding has created a social crisis. I'm going to strike 100%. My school is shutting for everyone except the children of key workers and the vulnerable. We won't know until the day of who, who of the teachers will turn up and who will be striking. Teachers are on their knees. I absolutely love my job. I'm still passionate after 25 years and have never considered leaving, but every year a little more is asked and expected of us. We're dealing with the creeping effects of growing class sizes, teaching assistants disappearing from the system, higher levels of poverty, inadequate school budgets. This week alone, I have worked almost 11 hours overtime. We have more students with mental health issues than ever before. Behavioural problems are escalating and referring students for specialist help takes many months now. We are seeing the impact of a decade of underfunding of all the social services, which has left us in a social crisis we're expected to put right. This is not just about pay. It's about the workload and the impact this has on the students. It's a mess. That being said, their pay isn't good enough. The pay isn't good enough. Ten years ago, I could afford being a single parent of two children on my salary. I couldn't do that now. Hannah Betts, 46, is a secondary teacher from Hastings. My pay has been slowly eroded away. It's a painful decision to choose to strike, both for my students' education and for my own finances. Having worked at the same college for 17 years, however, my pay has slowly been eroded away by austerity and many years of 1% pay rises. I'm at the top of my pay scale, and it's not a bad wage, but with the cost of living crisis, it's noticeable that it hasn't kept in line with inflation and the private sector. The pay rise should also be fully funded rather than establishments having to find money out of school budgets, having further negative impacts on already stretched budgets. School budgets have been in crisis for the last 12 years. In recent years, I've had very little budget to pay for equipment for my course. If we push for a pay rise out of the school budget, it will have further impact on the students and the quality of education we can provide. My college won't be closed. However, students won't be on site. Staff who aren't striking are being told to switch to online delivery for students. Striking staff don't have to provide anything for students. I have my own children at home as their school is also striking, so may take part in some strike action in the morning, but I'm not 100% yet. Luke Warren, 46, music technology teacher at Ashton Underline School. Striking has been a difficult decision for me. Striking has, I hear the concerns of parents and students all about the effects of the strikes on childcare and their education on top of what they've missed out already during lockdown. But they do not know what it is like to do this. The mammoth workload and the constant fear of Ofsted mean I work 10 hours a day from Monday to Friday, topped up in the evening, on the weekends and in the holidays. 
Teachers in England are at the end of their tether, says the union chief. I think we have less public support than striking NHS workers. The parents don't see the poor sleep, the stress it puts on family life. Or no, I've been taking antidepressants to cope for a long time, he says. For me, this is less about the pay than investment in the next generation. We're left with fewer staff and resources. The academicization has led to a market conceptualization of schools. The pressures of Ofsted are horrendous, and schools are now pitted against each other while students and parents are seen more as customers or consumers. Helena, an English teacher from the North Yorkshire, says, I can't sustain this workload. I'm in my second year of teaching. I was working in the private sector before that. The strikes are a last-ditch response to the chronic shortage of teachers caused by poor pay and conditions. You have a lot of teachers taking a, a time off sick partly because of the stress of the job, which means that when you're left with, with additional cover and teachers covering outside of their subjects, teachers are burning out due to their 12-hour days and weekend work. I live over an hour from my job. I'm up at 5am every morning and get home around 5.30 to 6pm. I can't remember the last time I had a proper lunch break and I'm teaching three subjects. I'm coping because I'm 24 and in good physical health, but a lot of, a lot of people just can't. I'm in teaching for the kids, but I can't sustain this workload. I worry about the missed learning for my students will have. We're struggling morally to take action, but if shortages continue, not just one year will be disrupted, but a decade. That was Andrew, who's 24, a secondary school teacher in Thurrock. So the UK, this is me now, the UK is in absolute crisis with education. The Tories have severely underfunded public education now for more than a decade. And the system is almost in collapse. Any wonder that it's bringing teachers to their knees and no doubt the students are going to be paying the ultimate penalty for this by poorer education results and poorer outcomes for their ongoing uh, careers and opportunities. Um, it's just a disgrace. And this uh, lack of funding for public education worldwide, uh, largely the fault of misguided economic fundamentalists. I call them fundamentalists because there's nothing rational about them. Um, and look, the dogs firmly supports public education and so should you people. Support the dogs, support public education in your community and support 3CR for carrying this voice to the people. Anyway, back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, it seems as if Australia isn't that different from the rest of the world uh, after your news, but we're interested in good news stories too. And there was a lovely article that Dale's going to read us about um, a moment that changed the, the writer, a moment that convinced her to become a teacher. Yes, and this is from an article from The Guardian from Nicola Garrard, uh, a moment that changed me. Three schoolboy truants convinced me to become a teacher. When I took a job at a London comprehensive in a deprived area, I never realised how much I'd learned from the students about racism, creativity and Shakespeare. The day I attended my interview for a job, for a job teaching at a challenging North London comprehensive school hadn't begun in a particularly surprising way. I knew the score. Prospective teachers are expected to take a lesson, then are given a tour of the school by student prefects and finally interviewed by the head teacher. 
It wasn't until after I'd completed my morning teaching that things started to take an unconventional turn. Three boys turned up to show me around the school and took me first to the stairwell where students urinated because the toilets were broken and dangerous. Next, we walked through a waft of cannabis outside the sixth form common room before entering an aerial walkway connected to buildings marked strictly no students. One of the boys unlocked the door and we stood for a while quietly looking out at a sweeping view of central London. Someone opened a packet of chips. I don't get why you want to work in this fucking dump, he said, offering me one. Moments later, I would learn that the tour I'd been given had been unofficial to say the least. The boys ran off upon spotting the teacher's deputy head, who exasperatedly asked where on earth I'd been and told me I was late for my job interview. It turned out that the students had skipped lessons to show me around without permission. Audacious, yes, but I was grateful. It was those students who showed me the school as they saw it, along with all of the challenges that they faced. To me, they were saying, we have problems. Do you want to be part of the team that will make a difference? I decided I did. The school was tough, sometimes dangerous, but also full of creativity and joy. And I learned a lot too. Speaking years later as a survivor of child criminal exploitation who had excelled in my English class until his first prison sentence, for instance, I learned why he had felt connected to Shakespeare. He was 12 when he was groomed by a gang hoping to escape poverty and domestic violence. Arrested for violent drug offences, he left class at 15 because his fear of punishment for a drug debt, a system of modern slavery, was stronger than my promises of a career. He was a vulnerable child, let down by the failings in education, policing and social care. His ambition was to stay alive. For him, Romeo and Juliet was not hypothetical, it was personal. When Tybalt stabs Mercutio, then flies with his followers, he could picture what that means, what real blood looks like on the pavements, the ambulance arriving too late. Mallory Blackman's Noughts and Crosses, a dystopian novel about a brutally racist school, resonated with students, perhaps because it hardly felt like fiction to boys for whom adultification and the assumption of criminality were a daily humiliation. One Saturday in the park, police accused one of my tutees of stealing his own bike, which he had outgrown. Taking my advice, he asked for their collar numbers so he could complain and retrieve his property. The officer said, don't be so fucking cheeky. The student was 12. Another boy was wearing his PE kit under his uniform to save time changing. Walking home, he was tackled to the ground by armed police who suspected the rucked material was a weapon. He was 11. I took the students outside London, where they set down their street toughness to hike, kayak and play. The school was also full of wonder. A refugee child in my class progressed from analphabetic to English GCSC in 18 months. Many others acquired fluency in multiple languages during their sometimes years-long odyssey to safety. And besides accelerated learning, young refugees also have a talent for hope. 
a boy who had walked over 100 miles across a desert to escape a massacre later walked with my tutor group around Hampstead Heath to raise money for polar bears. Children thrive when their need for food and safety is met. When What I loved most about being a teacher was taking students outside London where they could set down their carapace of street toughness to get muddy, hike up hills, rock climb, kayak and play. Last summer, I joined Minority Matters, a North London charity taking 50 young people to a remote farm in Wales for their first camping holiday. At 2am on the first night, a commotion in the next tent woke me. Two teenagers needed the toilet. We're scared, the boys said when I went to help. There's no street lights. What do we do? I took them to the portable toilets across the field. On the way back, we switched off our torches to see the stars. Their faces lit up. They were safer on a mountain farm in Wales than at home in their area of North London with its record levels of deprivation, violent crime and drug gangs. They became children again, playing football on long grass, milking goats, herding sheep, spotting buzzards, cuddling kittens. No crimes, no knives, no fear. A moment that changed me, a teacher destroyed my artistic dreams. A breakdown received them. Over the years, many boys have told me they do not expect to live beyond their teens. This is not an irrational fear. In June 2017, one of my loveliest students, Mahad Ali, a funny boy who was everyone's friend, was stabbed to death. I dedicated 29 locks, my novel celebrating London teenagers, to his memory. I will never forget the moment that changed me standing on the forbidden walkway with my three guides, London at our feet, the smell of beef-flavoured crisps in the air. I owe them my career. And 29 Locks is a novel by Nicola Garrard and it offers education and support to young people at the risk of criminal exploitation and their families. Back to you, Jean. So, yes, uh, that's a, a lovely story, isn't it? And there are lots of lovely stories all around Australia at the grassroots where our teachers in our public schools are doing great things. And we have a great state school for the week, as we do every week, and we're going to take you to the Melbourne Melbourne Secondary College at Croydon. Over to you, Dale. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school of the week is Melbourne College Croydon. Melbourne College is a co-ed government secondary school located in Croydon, an eastern suburb of Melbourne. They operate a year 7 to 12 campus in Brent, on Brent Hall Road with student enrolments drawn across Maroondah. The first three $17.9 million state-of-the-art learning facilities were opened at the start of Term 3, 2018, and the next two multi-million dollar buildings, STE. AM Centre and Forecourt Multi-Story Stadium opened in Term 3 2020. The school values of 
strive, S-T-R-I-V-E, success, teamwork, resilience, integrity, valuing excellence and engagement, encompass their pathways based their pathways-based approach to education and are centred around the pillars of teaching and learning and student engagement and well-being. Their professional teaching and support staff deliver a comprehensive and engaging, enriching curriculum that prepares students to graduate world-ready. Melbourne students benefit from the school's commitment to fostering success in all its forms, providing a positive, nurturing culture, a broad co-curricular program and strong community focus. They are one campus consisting of the equivalent of 70 full-time staff. The school is a welcoming place where students from many cultures learn together in modern facilities. The majority of the the students from Year 7 stay on to complete their secondary education. Cultural diversity is a feature of the college community with at least 35% of the college students arriving from other countries. Approximately 40% of the senior students undertake a VCAL pathway and wellbeing support is provided across the college with two counsellors, a youth worker, psychologist, chaplain and other professionals available. Compass is the main communication system for the college. Compass is available to parents and students to assist with attendance, learning tasks, payments, permissions, reporting, etc. Career staff are on site to assist students to understand successful pathway options. Many community groups access a variety of the college's facilities for sport and The college is a central facility within the community. They take great pride in all the students working hard at school and place a value on excellence. They also understand that success for students takes many forms and work with students and families to get great outcomes for the students. Their VCE median study score is steadily rising in the past two years, achieving the state benchmark of 28 in 2019. The college places equal emphasis on achieving outstanding VCAL and VET results and have committed significant resources to the program over the last two years. Now some ACARA My School information. The enrolment is 623 pupils and the ICSIA value is 982, which is below the average of 1,000. There is 10% of the students' parents come from the highest parental income quartile, uh, 22% from the second quartile, 26% come from the second lowest parental income quartile, and 42% are from the poorest families in the community. So really a school that's very representative of both advantaged and disadvantaged of the Australian community, but with 29% speaking a language other than English and 1% Indigenous students. Finances, recurrent grants, Australian Government 2.3 million, Victorian Government 9 million, uh, fees and parental contributions 250,000, other private contributions 632,000, and so per pupil it costs around 20 thousand four hundred dollars per pupil and the capital grants over three years are only 2.3 million dollars so doing great things with 
not so much money in a very disadvantaged community. Congratulations, Melbourne College Croydon. You are our Great State School of the Week. Well, our time has gone, listeners, and thank you for staying the course with us. We hope that you enjoyed the program, uh, found it informative at least. And um, if you want to find out more about the dogs, you can uh, go to our website at www.adogs.info. And uh, always you can come to the 3CR website and uh, look at our podcasts if you want to go back a few weeks. But um, from Dale, our producer, and from Oliver, Kim, Maddie and myself, it is bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.